0: Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Doesn't that intro want to make you run up here and grab one of these machines and get after it? You know, I, I hope that you are excited about this because, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about what God's going to do in my life. And, and I hope that, that you are looking forward in anticipation of what God's going to do in your own life as we talk about and as we apply what we hear on Sunday mornings in our own lives when it comes to our, uh, the health of our soul. Uh, There was a man a few years ago, his name was Greg Smalley, and he noticed that weeds were sprouting up amongst the healthy grass in his yard. And he wanted to take care of all of these weeds. So he went to the hardware store and he picked up a bottle of weed killer and he drenched every weed with weed killer. And he waited a couple days and and when he went back, you know what he found? Alive weeds and dead grass. Anybody ever done that before? Um, So he did it again. And, uh, and same thing happened. And his wife's like, honey, you're going to have to go ask an expert before you kill the entire lawn. So he went and he asked an expert. And, and uh, he says what he said, this expert said, I'll never forget because it applies to many areas of our lives. The expert said, you don't go after the weeds. You want to grow the healthiest grass you can around them and that that healthy grass will then begin to choke out the weeds. And, and I know that's true in, in my own lawn. Um, It reminded me of a a story that that happened to my dad and he had one of those sprayer backpacks, you know, where you pump it up and you've got the wand and you you go around and you spray it. And he sprayed weeds all over the farm with that and he'd rinsed it out or he thought he had rinsed it out enough that that he could put um, some 2,4-D in it, you know, and spray the lawn and get rid of all the dandelions. Well, he didn't get all of the Roundup out and he killed the lawn dead. The entire thing. He sprayed every last inch of that lawn and had to start all over. Uh, but but it, it's true that, that if we cultivate positive things in our life, they will begin to squeeze out the negative things. You know, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't repent and we shouldn't seek forgiveness for sin that's in our life because absolutely, that's a daily thing. But what we need to do also is focus on positive things in our own life, po- um, um, practicing and exercising our souls. And, and the disciplines that we see throughout Scripture so that our souls are healthy and that they squeeze out a lot of those negative things. And, and that's one of the things that, that we're shooting for in this series. Um, we're going to be exploring six ways we can spiritually exercise so that we can have healthy souls. Um, in our Bible studies, hopefully you've signed up for one. If you haven't, there's still time. Um, if if you're just you're just not gonna, um, I'd really encourage you to go online and it, it's under the second look tab. And, and watch the videos that Pastor Ty has put together to help us with, because I'm going to be kind of talking about what the, the, the discipline is, what the exercise is, and he's going to be talking about how do we apply that to our daily life. What are some ways in which we can, can, uh, can try and practice and, and to make these exercises a part of our daily life. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you don't have a, a, a internet access, um, there should be some back there on the the back shelf, and um, uh, you can take a DVD home and uh, and a discussion guide with you. Um, if there aren't any more at the end of the service, please let me know, and I will get one to you. Um, it's 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 vital for this series to be a part of that um, the the second look discussions as well. Um, some of these exercises that we're going to be talking about uh, will be integrated into your life every day. Some of them, not every day. Maybe once a week or, or even once a month. Uh, and, and I want to encourage us uh, that all of the ones, all of the things that we're going to talk about will help in making our souls Healthy. now in a, in a way of introduction I think there's some some boundaries that I want to give us this morning as we as we start because as we are training as we are working on good habits these are things that we must know um, i don 't want to just assume that we all know these I want to put them out there and the first one point one in your notes is this we are not earning our salvation but training our souls in righteousness we are not earning our salvation but we are training our souls. In righteousness. You may have heard it referred to as sanctification. Salvation cannot be earned. Um, eternal life is not something granted to us based on how hard we work or how spiritually mature we are. It is a gift from God 100%. He did the work. We are the receiver of the gift. Um, God provided for, uh, for this... Um, Sacrifice. Jesus Christ came, died on the cross, rose again. Salvation is offered to us and received by us upon our profession of faith and belief. In Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, it'll be up here on the screen, Paul says it this way, "...for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast." It's impossible for any of us to earn our salvation. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, "...for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come." We know that physical training has some value, don't we? It helps us feel better. It makes us healthy. It makes us stronger. makes us faster. Sometimes. Some of us, there's no cure for that. But, um, but look at this, what he says about godliness. Godliness has value for what? All things. And not just today, not just for, for the present life, but for the life to come. And we need to think about that. We need to, to um, uh, experience that. After, after we receive the gift of eternal life then, we begin the sanctification process. The process of, of growing and, and training and practicing and, and becoming more mature. Um, God begins making me the David Anderson that He wants me to be, and He begins making you the person that He wants you to be. And there has to be slab worked off of our of our souls. There there has to be things cut out. We we have to take in healthy food, healthy spiritual food. A healthy soul has value for all things. The Bible says so. Uh, in one of the the things that will help us. Um, know that we're not earning our salvation, but that we're training our souls in righteousness is we will have a better understanding of who we are and a better understanding of who God is. There was an an older gentleman, married, had been married for a long time, 40 years. And he's sitting at the kitchen table and he's he's, uh, eating a piece of toast, reading the newspaper, and his wife is pouring him a cup of coffee and his wife turns to him and says, Honey, how come you never tell me you love me anymore? And he says, Dear... I told you 40 years ago that I loved you, and if it changes, I'll let you know. Now think about that. That's not a healthy relationship, is it? If we're going to have a healthy relationship with our husband or our wife or our boyfriend or our girlfriend or our friends or our coworkers, there has to be, communica- there has to be communication involved in that. There has to be a sharing. There has to be a sacrificing. Um, it, it's, it's about being together, isn't it? There are things that we must do we, we are a team. If, if you're married, you are a team. You're not enemies. There may be times where it feels like that. You may wake up one day and go, wow, I, you're in this foxhole and she's in this foxhole, and, and as you step back, you look and you both have your guns aimed at each other. You need to put your guns down. Get in the same foxhole and recognize that you're, you're fighting the world together as a team. You're, you need to be fighting for each other, not with each other. And, and it's the same way in our relationship with, with God. There needs to be communication. There, there needs to be a daily um, connection. And some of these things that we're going to be talking about will help us in that. As we train, we know God, and He reveals uh, to us who we are. Something else we receive as we train and exercise is this, an understanding of my role and what my part in the training is. Okay, there are things spiritually and transformationally in your life and in my life that only Jesus can do. But there are also things in your life and in mine, spiritually in our relationship with Jesus Christ, that only we can do. Nobody else can pray for you. Nobody else can make a good decision in in this case or that case. Jesus doesn't make that decision for you. You make that decision. And as we process and as we train and as we mature, those things will begin to occur. We understand what our role is and what His role is in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We must also recognize that found at the core of all of this that we're going to be talking about in the next six weeks, uh, at the core of all we do must be love. Love must be at the core. Love for God, love for people, genuinely experiencing his love and affirmation, and then as that fills us up it begins to pour out in the lives of other people. First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verses one and three says it this way If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Look at what Paul says there. Speaking in languages of angels. The gift of prophecy. Someone, if, if you could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if you could have the faith that could say, move Laramie Peak 100 miles to the north, if you could have that kind of faith, what a great thing that would be. But Paul says if there's no love there, it's, it's, it's worthless. It's just noise. And what I don't want to happen is for, for you to get in your head that, that if I just do these six things, then that's going to make me a, a good Christian and I'm going to be better than everybody else. Because in that attitude, that's not a loving attitude. That's not a humble attitude. And we need to maintain that throughout this process as we talk about conditioning our souls. Love must be at the core. Also, as we train, uh, we will become more mature. Uh, a mark of maturity is the ability to discern good from evil, the Bible says. That's wisdom. And we gain that. We become wiser. Some of you, some of you, when you think of other people, you, you, you think to yourself, man, I wish you'd just grow up. Right? We know adults that that need to mature. They need more maturity. And maturity doesn't just come by living life, does it? We don't just automatically you know, become mature. We mature because of experiences that we have in life. We we mature because of tests that we're put through. We're, we're matu- uh, we are matured um, educationally, and as we mature, as we train, we are able to discern between good and bad. You see, we can't rely on the laws of this land to know what's right and wrong, can we? I mean there there are laws there there are laws that say that we can do certain things that are against what the Bible says. The Bible says don't do this but our government says but you can do this. So what do we do? We need to make a decision. We have to make a decision. And one of the ways we make the right decision is by growing in our maturity and our ability to discern good from evil. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 13 to four, 13 and 14 say this, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You see, God doesn't. God wants us to grow up. He doesn't want us to sp- to stay spiritually, uh, to stay spiritual infants our whole life. He wants us to grow in righteousness. He wants us to learn about righteousness. And one of the ways we do that, according to Hebrews, is to be constantly training ourselves. It doesn't just happen automatically. There's work that we must do. So my last point in the way of introduction is this. A mature person can do this because they are constantly practicing and exercising. I keep telling my daughter that she'd be a better soccer player if she'd play basketball. She doesn't like basketball. I really like basketball. I really wish she would play basketball. But she doesn't want to. But, but this is what's happening, and she acknowledges this to be true. She goes through all of the conditioning during volleyball season. Volleyball season gets over, and then she has four months of nothing unless... She's disciplined to run on that thing right there every day or go outside and run every day and keep up the physical strenuousness in her life so she maintains some of her conditioning. And then soccer practice rolls around after Christmas, after all the food and all of that, and what happens? She's out of shape. She, she there there would be things that she would learn in basketball she would be quicker she would be better with her hands as goalie which is what she plays but because she doesn't train for those months she starts out weaker it's it's true of us in our spiritual life as well let's train let's practice constantly On Sunday, October 14th, Felix Baumgartner, an Australian daredevil, made the highest and fastest jump in history. Many of you have maybe even watched the video of this. After seven years of preparation, okay? Think about that. He practiced and trained for seven years to jump out of a capsule at the edge of space and break a couple records. Okay? he fell 24 miles. At one point, he, free, he free-falled. He free-fell. I don't even know how to say that without reading it. Um, at one point, free-falling for over five and a half minutes and reaching a maximum speed of 833.9 miles an hour. Okay? This seven years of training. He didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I want to do this. You know, have somebody write some checks and go do it. He had to train. There were things he had to figure out he needed to know in order to do this. This is this is what he says about this. He says, It was harder than I expected. Trust me. When you stand up there on top of the world, you become so humble. I can't even imagine. You know, you look at a picture of of the planet from outer space and it's just like, oh, wouldn't it be cool? To see that, to actually see that with your own eyes instead of just a picture, and how humbling it would be to be looking upon that and know that your God, your Creator spoke that into existence and not just that but the vastness of all of it that we can't even peer to the end of our Creator created all of that he said it's, it, He says when you're standing there at the top of the world it's not about breaking records anymore it's not about getting scientific data. It's all about coming home. It's all about surviving. And I, I just think to myself if that much training is, it can go into preparing to, a, to jump from the top of a world, uh, you know, all of you athletes in here, you know, you kids that are in elementary school and junior high and high school and, and maybe even college, think about all of the hours and hours and hours that you spend training your body physically. To play a game. Okay? It's to play a game. All right? There's great things that come out of that. Okay? I'm not saying that's a bad idea. But what I'm saying is if we're willing to do that, and most of us have at one point in time in our life, if we're willing to spend all of those hours doing that, which the Bible says um, physical, physical um, working on, how, how did he say that? For physical training is of some value think about how much time you could be spending training yourself for godliness, which is good for all things. It's for good for all things. And, and, and so that's, that's what we're going to be talking about. Now, um, one more thing. Can discipline be taken too far? Absolutely it can. Um, we can lose sight of the points that we just talked about and, and, and we can start thinking that we're gaining or somehow maintaining our salvation because of the good things that, that we're doing and, and checking those things off the list and see, oh, oh, look at me. Oh, wow, I did this, I did this, I did this. Or that God loves me more because I'm training. Because I'm reading my Bible every day. God loves me more. There are men and women in the world today that live by themselves or they don't speak for long periods of time. Um, in, in history, you look at church history, you, you see um, monks, men, men going wandering off out into the wilderness for years at a time by themselves, practicing the discipline of solitude. Okay, That's taking it too far. Because you see, the Bible says that we're not to forsake meeting together. And if you're out there all alone by yourself for years at a time, you're not meeting together. A discipline can be taken too far, so we need to be cautious and not go down the wrong trail. Remember, if the goal of the discipline or exercise is wrong, then the discipline is going to be misguided. If at any time you're trying to earn your salvation, if at any time you're trying to get brownie points with God or you're trying to grab God's attention or feel better about yourself because you are so spiritual, you will eventually be frustrated and travel a misguided life. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. Or if the object of our practicing isn't Jesus Himself and it becomes me, I'm doing this for me, not because Jesus commanded it or the Bible calls me to, then as well, we will not experience a truly healthy soul. So as we study over the next six weeks, let's keep those things in perspective. Now, our first exercise, the title of the message is Bible Application. Point two in your notes is the Bible is our foundation. That's why we're starting with the Bible. We need a standard. We need a rock-solid foundation, and that's what the Bible is. As human beings, we are gravely affected by our feelings, aren't we? Can you trust your feelings all the time? Absolutely not. Our feelings lie to us. There's times when when we feel good about something, and it's not true. It's really not very good. And there are times when we don't feel very good about something and, and anxiety creeps in, and the, the reality is it's not as bad as we think it is. Many people live by the motto that says this if it feels right, do it. If it feels wrong, then don't do it. Do what you feel. I feel like doing it and it feels right, so it must be right. There's a problem with that. Feelings lie. They lie to us all the time. Feelings sometimes tell us things that are highly unreliable. So if we live by our feelings or by our human opinions, we will spend our life manipulated by moods. And that's not a good thing. Know any moody people? Know anybody that makes decisions in a mood? You know, they tell pastors, never quit being a pastor on a Monday. There's a reason for that. You need some time. You know, maybe you had a bunch of critical people talking to you on Sunday afternoon. You need to take some time and think about it. That's not the time to make that decision. Our feelings lie to us. The Bible tells us in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, and, and this was like 5,000 years ago, okay? In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit sounds kind of like modern America, doesn't it? Well, I want to use this as an illustration. I have a, I have a bulletin here and, and most of you probably know what the measurement of this bulletin is. Okay. This morning I made a, I made myself a ruler. Okay. So that I could, I could measure this bulletin and I just, Rob, do you know how, wide this is supposed to be? Supposed to be eight and a half, right? Okay, I want to. Sh- I'm going to measure this with my ruler, and I want you to tell me if that's right. Looks like seven and three I think your messed up. My ruler is messed up, but I made this ruler, and I happen to like this ruler. But you know what? I I hear what you're saying. If you don't like that ruler, I made another one here. Okay, I'm going to try this ruler. Okay, what what does it say by that ruler? It is fourteen. Yeah, 14 and a half. Is that right? Why? My ruler is... How do I know that my ruler is messed up? Number one, I made it. Okay. But why is my ruler messed up? Somebody tell me. No standard. There's a standard? We need a standard? Like a tape measure? Okay? That, that is made to specs, and I don't know who determined the length of an inch. I didn't research that this week. I didn't take the time to do that. But somebody sometimes said, this is what an inch is. Okay? And they put it in a book, and all of humanity, from then on, till about a few years ago, somebody else said, hey, let's use this one. Let's use centimeters and meters, right? Still haven't convinced Americans that that's the best one. There's a standard, right? There's something somewhere that is exactly an inch. And all other rulers are compared to that one. And if I had taken this this morning and I had put this standard next to it and I had made the marks, then I would have known that it was this, my little measuring stick here that's 12 inches on one side and 26 inches on the other. Really is 13 and 7 eighths inches because I compare it to a standard right? Well, what is our standard when it comes to truth and what's good and what's evil? It's this right here. This is our standard. This is it. We need this. Our foundation must be built on the Word of God. We may not always agree with it. We may not always like it, but we don't have the option to make our own rules. Because when we do, we really can screw things up. If God said it, it has to be true. It's our final authority, it's our standard. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Timothy chapter three. We're going to start reading in verse 14. Second Timothy chapter three. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab one of those underneath the, the pews there, the chairs, and turn to Second Timothy chapter three. For every good work. When it comes to the Bible is as our foundation, it is important that we know it. It's important that we know it. Have you ever gotten one of those pieces of furniture at Walmart or Target that you have to put together? You know, like an entertainment center or a bookshelf? And are you one of those people who when you get that home you just dump it all out on the floor and you just start putting stuff together? Because if you are, you've been very frustrated in life, I know. Because you can't do it. It's not possible to get it right. You know, what we have to do is we have to find that piece of paper in there that has, that's numbered 1, 2, 3, 4. And then we, we find that correct piece of paper that's in English and not Spanish or Japanese or one of the other languages that's also included in there. And you start with number 1, right? And it says, do this and do this. Find this board and this board and this piece and this piece and put them together. See, you need to know the instructions in order to do that successfully. We need to know the instructions. We, it's important that we know the Bible. And we're all going to be at different places in this. It's a process. Maybe you're just starting. Well, you just then start to know it. It makes us wise Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why would we fear God? Why why would we approach God reverently? Because we know about Him. And how do we know about Him? One of the ways is right here. He's told us about Himself. He describes Himself. He tells us about His character. He tells us about how powerful He is. We see it over and over and over and over again in the pages of Scripture. His love, his responses in situations. And we know this from the Bible. It's important to know it. It's it's also describes salvation, Paul says in verse fifteen right there. The Bible is very clear on salvation. We we have the very words of Jesus in John chapter three, verse sixteen, where it says that Jesus loved the world so much that it, it let me rephrase that. God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son. Who would sacrifice himself for us? And then what does it say? Whoever what believes in him has what? Eternal life. That seems pretty clear to me. Last week, we saw John chapter eleven verses twenty four to twenty seven with the story of Lazarus. Martha is talking with Jesus, and she says, "I know that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection at the last day." And Jesus said to her. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she reaffirms that, yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And then in Romans 10, chapter, verses 9 and 10, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Clear. It tells us about salvation. It's here. It's in here. Somebody wants to know about salvation and they ask you, hey, can you tell me, what what does the Bible say about salvation? You go to John 3.16, you can go to John 11.24, and you can go to Romans 10.9 and 10. It's there. It's clear. So it teaches us about salvation. It's, it's inspired by God, Paul says in verse 16. It's God breathed. And, and as we look at all of the different authors and all of the different books and all of the different years that, that the books of the Bible were written, and we see that as they're all put together in what we now have as the Bible, and we see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of writing, and we see how the story of 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 life is told, and we see prophecy and we see it fulfilled, and it all fits together, we have to ask ourselves the question: could man possibly do that and I say no, there might be people that think they're that smart. I don't think so how how could so 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 you're so Moses recorded the events of history in the first five books of the Bible, and then the rest, we just, man, just made it up as it went. We just sort of made experiences happen so that it all fit together. No. No. God breathed this to men who wrote it down. It is inspired by God. And then Paul continues, and he says it teaches, it rebukes, and it corrects us right there in verse 16. If you want to go on a diet, what would you probably do? You could talk to somebody who's on a diet. That might be a good way to do it. Or, you could find a diet and then read everything about it and learn everything about it and then follow what they're saying. Right? Weight Watchers is a great one. I know this from experience. I've lost weight multiple times on Weight Watchers. But you have to follow it religiously in order for it to work. But it does. And, and you know, um, it, it it teaches. Those books teach. Or, or a, a book on how to strengthen your body or a book that helps you get your finances in order. My family's getting tired of hearing about Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey this, Dave Ramsey that. Dave Ramsey said, I listened to Dave Ramsey on the radio today. Why? Because we're taking the class, right? And we're trying to get our finances in order and we're trying to, to live on a budget and all the things that go with that. But unless we know everything about it and we're following it, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It teaches us. We're being taught by those things. We need to understand those things. We, the, the Bible rebukes us. We can open a book of the Bible and we can read a section on our devotion on a morning or something and the conviction of the Holy Spirit can, get a, can grab a hold of us and, and we can recognize that there's a sin in our life that we didn't know was there. And it says, And God says, you need to repent of that and get that out of your life. It rebukes us and it corrects us. It's like when you're on a diet and you open the fridge. You're standing there our kids do this all the time, too. Do your kids do that? They open the fridge and they just look. And then they shut it and they walk away. It's like there's lots of food in there and then they say there's no food in the house, right? Anyway, that's a different subject. But if you're on a diet and you open the fridge, you hear this voice in the back of your head that says, shut the door, walk away slowly, right? Okay? It's, it's that conscious rebuke. Um, we need to We need to listen. We need to understand... Uh, instruction. Um, There was a man that was terribly overweight, so, so his doctor put him on a diet, and the doctor said to him this, he said, I want you to eat regularly for two days and then skip a day. Then eat regularly again for two days and then skip a day. Repeat this procedure for two weeks, and the next time I see you, you should have lost at least five pounds. When the man returned, he shocked the doctor by having lost nearly 60 pounds. Wow, that's amazing, the doctor said. Did you follow my instructions? The man nodded. I'll tell you though, I thought I was going to drop dead on the third day. From the hunger you mean? Asked the doctor. No, from the skipping. (laughs) It took a little longer for some, but... It teaches, it rebukes, it corrects us. It rebukes our decisions. It confronts us with evil that's in our life. And it corrects. But the Bible not only illuminates the things in your life and in mine that shouldn't be there, that don't, um, it also, we see the insteads. We see the things that we are to do. And that's what we're talking about in the next six weeks. Here are six things that we can do to crowd out the sinful weeds that are in our lives so that our souls can be healthy. It trains in righteousness, Paul says in verse 16. As truth becomes a part of who we are as it works into our lives, through our training, we experience transformation. You see, there is a foundation of information, but if that's all we're getting is information and there's no transformation happening in your life, something's not right. I mean, we need to... to to take that into consideration. And that's why Paul ends this passage with verse 17. He says, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Equipped for what? Every good work. Salvation is by grace alone, not by works, but there are works. And they relate to our sanctification, to the conditioning of our soul, to our exercise. We we do that for our jobs, continuing education. We do this, we do that. Why? So that we can have more information in our heads? No, so we'll be a better employee. So we'll be wiser, more knowledgeable. Paul says that the Word of God will equip us for every good work. So it's a working foundation. It's a working foundation. James helps us understand this. It's our last uh, passage of the day James chapter 1 beginning in verse 22 turn there with me if you would James chapter James chapter 1 James 1 22 through 25 do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says I don't know how it could be any more clearer than that. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if you could take the top five lessons that you've learned in life, write them down on a card, and sort of upload them into the brains of your children, and they would instantly know those and not waver from them at all? That they would actually do those? Because isn't there times, parents, when we tell our kids over and over and over and over and over and over, and sometimes they still don't get it? And they make that choice anyway, and then they suffer consequences for that, and then they have something that they've learned from experience that they will now want to tell their kids, that they, they wish they could tell their kids, and they would hear it, and they would understand it, and they would not do that. He, he says anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. somebody shows him a picture of himself and he, says, and he says, I don't recognize that person. Really? But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You see, we are deceived if, we, if all we do is hear it. Don't just be a hearer of the word. If there's no transformation in your life, no maturity, no knowledge between good and evil, then you are not in Christ. We must first hear it to understand it, but merely hearing it is miles apart from doing it. And we deceive ourselves if if all we do is listen. And the last point is we are to do what it says. Let's look into the perfect law that gives freedom. Let's learn it and let's do it. God wants His Word to become an active part of all of our lives. Useful on a daily basis. In order for that happen, to happen, we need to, to read it and we need to study it and we need to learn it and memorize it. Growing and maturing us, it will. Training us in righteousness. Trans, transforming us into, the, into people who do the work of evangelism. Transforming us into, into to people who love God. Transforming us into people who love one another. And on and on. And what better closing illustration of what we've seen today than how Jesus Himself stood on the truth of Scripture. Remember the temptation of Jesus? He's in the desert for 40 days, and and Satan comes to Him when he's hungry and thirsty and begins tempting Him to take care of his physical needs with the power that he has at his fingertips. Three times the devil came and tempted Him. And all three times, Jesus used only one weapon to defend Himself. What was it? Scripture. The Creator of the universe. If it's good enough for Him, I think it's good enough for us. Satan tempted Him and Jesus said, it is written. The devil tempted Him again and He said, yeah, but it is written. The devil twisted those Scripture a little bit like he he did in the, the Garden of Eden and he tempted him a third time and Jesus said, it is written. Let's be like Jesus. Let's defend ourselves the same way that he did. That's why it's important for us to hide the Word of God in our hearts. God will bring that back to memory when you need it. He won't bring something back to memory if it was never in there in the first place. I don't know how many kids I've talked to that wish they could take tests like that. You know, they pray, Oh Lord, give me all the answers. Ain't going to happen. I mean, if you didn't study, you deserve to fail the test, right? A prayer that I pray for my children on days uh, when I know that they have a test is, Lord, could you please help my kids remember the things that they studied? I know they worked hard. I know they studied hard. Help them to remember those things. Under the pressure of the test, God will help us do that. He'll bring Scripture uh, to us. The Word of God is not only food for our souls; the Word of God is our standard of living. It's the ruler. It is the standard by which we make decisions for the things that we're facing. So I encourage you again to to continue this study in your Bible studies. Maybe in one-to-ones, if you have one of those with somebody, watch the video online, download the questions and go through those and, and begin to find ways to apply Scripture to your life on a daily basis. Make it a part of who you are. And this final verse, Psalm 1, 1 and 2, says, Blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may it be true for us. May we be men and women of the standard, your word. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to, to fight those, those temptations to do whatever we want and to believe whatever we want and only apply to our lives whatever we want. But Lord, help us to not just be hearers of, of all that you have to say to us, but help us to be doers of that as well obedient and humble servants of yours. O Lord, train us in righteousness. Help us to exercise our souls that they might be healthy. In Jesus' name, amen.